You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hey, this is Ryan Denmark, the director of Hell's Heart, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Uh, I'm a little bit sick today, so I'm going to go ahead and keep this kind of short. I recorded the chapter of Tuners first, so my voice is going to be a little bit better on there through the magic of editing. Uh, Today I want to talk about a book, actually. Not a movie at all, but a book. Uh, The Girl with All the Gifts. It's a great book that I read. Uh, and that's gifts with a T at the end, not gifts, you know, like cats or, 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 you know, chickens or, or, or whatever you you see on the internet. Uh, it's a really great reimagining of, of a classic, uh, story that we're all familiar with. Uh, before I go ahead and tell you that reimagining, I'm going to go ahead and say spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you do not want to be spoiled on this book, please Go ahead and read the book, come back, listen to the podcast. Uh, But let's go ahead and continue on. The Girl with All the Gifts is a retelling on a zombie narrative. So uh, if you haven't really figured it out by the first few chapters, the girl that is the main, uh, what the story is about, she is a zombie. Uh, She is a, a, maybe a 10-year-old, I forget exactly her age, if they even mentioned it. But she's really young. She's this little girl, and she's a zombie. Uh, she's in part of this weird experiment that they're educating zombies, and uh, one of the characters, uh, Miss Justinu, is her uh, one of her teachers that she really likes. And then there's also this general that she's a little bit afraid of, and then there's this doctor that wants to cut up her brain and do experiments on her. So why are they educating these? children zombies by the way it's a classroom full of children zombies uh you find out later that basically they think if they could find out why the children zombies are intelligent and the regular adult zombies are just like the ones you see in a normal zombie movie uh they can maybe figure out the the way to get rid of the fungus Ooh, yeah that's right you heard me fungus this is the first zombie thing that i've 
encountered where they decided it's not a virus, it's a fungus that's actually causing people to turn into zombies, which I thought was actually kind of cool. I have never seen a fungus narrative, and I didn't have any time to research this episode being sick and all, uh, so I just, you know, I, I would have maybe seen if there was any fungus zombie things before that, so, you know, if you know of any, uh, fungus, uh, related zombie narratives before the girl with all the gifts, go ahead and let me know. I'd be interested to see if the author of this was really, you know, got there first, is the first one to decide, you know what, I bet zombie outbreaks can be caused by a fungus. So anyways, uh, like any good zombie narrative, you figure out exactly why people are acting like zombies. Basically, it's this fungus that infects people's brains, and once it gets into their brain, it, you know, causes all sorts of problems with their motor coordination, and then, of course, it wants to go ahead and reproduce, so it passes through people's blood, so, of course, they want to eat people, like a good zombie narrative, and then uh, these zombies are quite unique. In most zombie stories, when the zombies are not... Uh, biting people, they're just sort of wandering aimlessly around, right? Like in The Walking Dead, you see them get together in these giant herds, and they just sort of start collecting each other uh, by kind of their wanderings around. Well, in this uh, story, they don't do anything. They just stand there, perfectly still, waiting for something to come by. And how do they know that it's a human that comes by? by the smell. So they can smell people, and as soon as they have that smell, they go crazy and they just want to eat people. So this brings it back to our zombie kid. How do they get the zombie kids not to eat their teachers? Well, first off, they're in these weird things where they're strapped into their chairs and they're in these like head straps and arm straps and all that, but also there is this weird like, uh, lotion, <laughs> I, I guess, for lack of a better word. It's it's this weird lotion that they put on to mask their smell from the zombies. Uh, maybe body spray, I don't know. Axe body spray for zombies. Uh, so anyways, yeah, it's this body spray or something that they put on and uh, it masks their smell. If they sweat it off or something, the zombies could sell, smell them and they go crazy. And of course, the little girl, the girl with all the gifts, uh, she... Oh, man, I'm really blanking on her name. I just finished reading this. I should remember. But, uh, I, you know, she was... I'm, I'm going to call her Pandora. I think maybe that was her name because she was really obsessed with the story Pandora's Box. Of course, once again, fitting for a zombie, uh, zombie narrative, the, the story of Pandora's Box. But anyway, so uh, Pandora, when she smells, you know, if, if someone sweats this zombie... Uh, zombie cream off then uh you know she uh she goes crazy and wants to eat them which by the way i think it would be kind of hilarious to see a sketch on this like like zombie i don't know beauty products you know since they have this zombie lotion where they can't be detected by zombies i think it'd be kind of funny to cross it with like the walking dead and have like you know like the avon lady you know like like you know the like someone that's like door-to-door -door selling makeup it's up they're selling like anti-zombie like creams and lotions or something but imagine they're doing it to like 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 michonne or something you know like 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 with two swords like hacking zombies left and right and her just like staring down the avon lady that's hilarious 
Saturday Night Live needs to write that. Anyways, uh, <laughs> maybe I'm I'm I am am not that funny, and 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 so my voice is getting worse. Just like, please, Aaron, no no more zombie cream sketches. So, anyways, uh, you know they have this really cool. Uh, idea that it's fungus and it's smell and when they don't smell anything they just stand there perfectly still which brings into this really odd but interesting plot point that uh once again i'm going into spoilers here the zombies by the end of the series turn into like plants like this like fungus kind of grows out of the zombies until they can't move anymore which is why they stand perfectly still once they've had their fill and they spread it enough and they film, they, you know, kind of grow into these plants that grow these pods. And of course, these pods are uh, airborne versions of this fungus that could spread through the entire world. And, and uh, so you kind of have this thing. And then, oh, by the way, how are there intelligent zombie children in the series? Uh, they basically were people that were already pregnant when they got turned into the zombies and the babies sort of ate their way out of their zombie mothers and then grew up sort of wild. And, uh, the only reason why, uh, the only reason why the main character was educated is because the soldiers caught her as a wild girl and then put her through the school program. Yeah, I know it's a, it sounds like a really strange weird story but it's really good and it's really unique like like it it really does a whole lot of different things to the zombie narrative that i haven't really seen done before uh maybe it has been done before but i think this person did it well uh i think kind of my summarizing of it might think oh man okay so wait there's zombies giving birth and 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 they turn into plants what the heck is going on? And in fact, uh, someone uh, went ahead and did one of those Facebook challenges where they were like, you know, describe a book in like two sentences and, and see if we can guess the book. And those were my two sentences. Uh, <laughs> Zombies give birth and become plants. And they were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And while technically not plants, fungus, I know, fungus is not a plant. But anyways, it's funnier when I say plant. Uh, so... People had trouble figuring out, but eventually, once they figured out that it was Girl, the gifts were like, oh yeah, I never thought of it that way, because you don't really think about, like, that stuff. You're more kind of involved in the emotional through line of the fact that uh, the teacher, uh, you know, uh, she's kind of the motherly figure, and then the, the sergeant becomes kind of the uh, the fatherly figure to this little zombie girl. Oh, and by the way... The experiment gets uh, wasted pretty quickly, and these people all find themselves sort of surviving together. You know, that's the classic zombie narrative, people having to survive in this weird world, and it kind of gets to that very quickly, and that's where I think the book really picks up for me, when you just have, you know, a couple characters, and they're all trying to survive, as opposed to the weird experiment. The weird experiment was, was interesting to start with, because he just kind of drops you in it. He doesn't really... The, the writer of this book doesn't really necessarily explain what's going on, uh, lets you sort of piece everything together yourself, which I appreciate. But, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of get to the heart of what was going on, and, and that's when I feel the, the base falls and they all have to strike it out, you know, trying to get back to this other base. That I think that 
that part of the story is the, the best part for me. And then the ending, I don't know, the ending is a little strange. I'm not really going to go ahead and go over it. But, you know, if you get a chance, check out this book. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do a future episode about the movie because there is a movie girl with all the gifts so i'm gonna go ahead and give that a watch and then we'll talk about that uh and thank you and tuners will be up next chapter eight John's vision blurred white, and his head spun. He felt nauseous for a brief moment. Abby's body disappeared. He no longer felt her body pressed against his. He was in a void, a world between worlds. An instant later, her body was back. He was falling through the air. He hit the ground with a thump. Abby landed on him. For a brief second in time, she was on top of him, eye to eye. We've got to stop meeting like this, John grinned. Abby rolled her eyes and pushed him off. Slow down there, cowboy. It was necessary. You have to be touching a tuner to travel if you don't have a tuning device of your own. After Abby was no longer a distraction, John noticed his surroundings. He was on a platform in the middle of a large room. There were computers and all sorts of scientific equipment everywhere. Monitors cascaded with data John couldn't begin to understand. There was a giant screen with all sorts of numbers. People in what could only be described as supervillain henchmen uniforms were monitoring the equipment. They wore jumpsuits and hard hats as if they could be extras in some old Japanese monster movie. The gang was all on the platform. They appeared worn and disheveled from the battle. DeAndre and Patel were attending to John's father. We need a medical team, DeAndre yelled. The henchmen all scrambled in the action on the arrival of the team. Some were running to their stations and checking equipment, others were scanning the team. Two men in science fiction-looking white nurses' uniforms came in with a floating stretcher. One of them hit a button on a handheld device that looked like a phone, and his dad levitated off the ground onto the stretcher. A technician shoved some sort of scanning device into John's face, and John batted it out of the way. Where are they taking him? The technician shoved the scanner back into his face and said, He'll be fine. Now hold still. Hey, Abby, who's the noob? The other technicians scanned the rest of them. They all seemed to be pretty relaxed about the process, so John went with it. Don't know, Abby said, but he contuned. No crap. Imagine that, the tech said. What are you scanning for, John asked. Bugs, the tech said nonchalantly. Bugs, like you think I'm a spy. More like glitches. Patel said. Signs that your tuning days are done. What is this place? We are the tuners. A Latino man in a suit and a loud, booming voice entered the room. He was immaculate. He didn't have a hair on his head that was misplaced. From the way the man walked and the way that everyone seemed to get extra busy when he was around, John figured he was in charge. Hector Gonzalez, the man stuck his hand out to John. We have a lot to talk about. Hector dropped John off at the conference room that overlooked the operations and told him that she should wait for a moment. The table was oval, smooth, and black. The chairs were office chairs. John dumped his backpack on the ground and walked around the room. 
There was a window overlooking the operations room. Ludi had pointed out a few things before leaving him alone. The platform where they first appeared was the center of operations. The room was divided into sections. One section was monitoring vital signs and biometrics. Another was monitoring quantum fluctuations and other stuff that John didn't quite understand. One station seemed to be focusing on these bubbles where it would zoom in and zoom out of different spheres. They were all labeled with numbers. Ludi called it the map. There were other parts of the room that John couldn't see from the window. After John got bored watching the people work, he pulled out his phone. It was fried. Without music to keep him occupied, he investigated the room instead. There seemed to be a big monitor built into the wall opposite the window overlooking operations. On one of the shorter walls were a bunch of pictures. It looked like a bunch of corny photos a company would have of their CEO. At the top it said, Hector Gonzalez, Director of Operations, 10-Year Tuner of Distinction. Other photos on the wall showed faces of various other positions, marked by how many years they were a tuner. However, them none of them were of distinction, nor were they anywhere close to 10 years. More were like 7, some even less. While I was looking at the photos, the others filed into the room. The group all took their seats around the table. They no longer had their weapons or any of their gear, with the exception of their of their phones and their headphones. It seemed like part of the requirement from working here was having headphones. Hector came in last and sat at the head of the table. He offered John a seat in between him and Abby. I'm sure you have lots of questions, Hector said. Yeah, like how do I get out of here, John said. Hear what he has to say, Abby nudged him. Then I'll take you back, I promise. You have a rare gift. Only one in a billion have this talent. If it's that weird humming noise, no thanks, you can have your talent back. Hector and Abby exchanged glances. Hector asked, was it loud? Loud enough to interrupt my music. Dude, that's so metal, Meathook said. Was it like crazy feedback at a killer concert, or loud pop your eyeballs out from your head? Calm down, man, DeAndre said. You're scaring him. I'll tell you what's scaring me. Having a bunch of freaks show up on my house trying to kill me. I had enough of people trying to kill me for one day. You want to tell me what's going on here? Or should I show myself out? It's much better if I showed you, Hector said. Hector pressed a button on the screen, and the table lit up. The controls appeared when his hand was close to the table. A monitor on the long wall lit up. A bunch of texts displayed on the screen. It looked like the stuff that was on the monitors downstairs. There were different bubbles on the wall. Each had a sphere with different specs. John didn't really understand all, all of it. Despite the Asian stereotypes, John wasn't good at math or science. Anyone want to explain what I'm looking at? John said. Patel, Hector said. Will you do the honors? Patel spoke up. What you're seeing is what we call the grid. It tracks the locations and the different quantum realities. Different what? John said. Patel didn't skip a beat as she was used to describing the technology. Different universes. We live in a cosmic soup. Think of it as different realities floating around like bubbles in a soda can. For a condition that only affected one in a billion people, it seemed like they had done a lot. John felt like a moron. A cute girl caught his attention, and now he was in deeper than he could imagine. 
He couldn't believe he was that stupid. He should have stood up and left, but Abby squeezed his hand under the table and he was such an idiot. We can tell each universe apart because they have a unique cosmic background radiation, Patel said as she punched up some buttons on the table. The control panel she seemed to use appeared under Patel's hand when she got her hand close to the table. One of the bubbles expanded, it looked like a bunch of fuzz, and the blot and it had blotches in the summer. It looked like a bunch of fuzz and had blotches in the center. The uh, what? John said. Meat Hook took over. So, bro, you know how universes started with a Big Bang? Yeah. BAM! Meat Hook mined an explosion in every direction. There's leftover radiation from that Big Bang. Like, how a campfire can still be warm even if there's nothing left but ash. Turns out space is not so cold after all. You are talking minor temperature variations. It is still pretty cold, Patel said. All right, John said, I get it. So you use the cosmic background radiation to tell them apart. That's right, Patel said. Each universe has its own unique signature because they had their own unique Big Bang. It's like a way to tell each soda bubble apart from each other. Except that each sphere is a universe. Your universe is number 42. The bubbles floating around the screen appeared back. Patel selected one of them. It was labeled 42. She expanded the universe and got a picture of the cosmic background radiation. She scrolled in even more and John saw galaxies. Then he saw the Milky Way. Then the solar system and finally the planet Earth appeared on the screen. It was labeled Earth 42. The map zoomed into Indianapolis, Indiana, right to the mall where John narrowly avoided getting killed. There were several red markers with all sorts of data underneath. There were a few more markers that John could understand, like he recognized the Victoria's Secret and also the Hot Topic. I figured that Hot Topic would have a gateway to another universe. What you are seeing, Patel continued, are weak points in the barrier that keeps your universe from mixing with others. Think of it like crossing from one soda pop bubble to the next, and that's why what you have is considered a gift. What, that hum, John said? Hearing that hum? We call it tuning, Abby said. One in a billion seem to possess this gift where it's useful. Some can hear the hum, but cannot locate where its source is. So why does it only work when I'm listening to music, John asked. Music is like lubrication for the ears. It loosens your senses up and allows you to tune into it, DeAndre said. It's called tuning because it's like a radio dial in your head, Ludi added. He knows, Ludi, DeAndre said. I'm just saying we don't want him to get his brain scrambled on the first tune, Ludi said. John had about enough of what he could take. They were all talking at him like he wanted to join their club. It was all too overwhelming. He never asked for any of this. He wanted to rewind back to the day where he met Abby. Maybe if he never saw her, he could just go on about his life, ignorant and happy. John stood up and yelled, Take me home! I don't want to be here! John walked towards the exit. Everyone stopped and watched him go. Even Abby was a little shocked. Hector spoke up as soon as John's hand was on the door. I can take you back. 
But in a while, you won't have a home to go back to. John held his hand on the door. Show him, Hector said. But we haven't even... Petel, show him. John turned from the door and sat on the empty seat at the end of the table. Patel punched up a few buttons on the screen. More dots appeared on the screen. They eventually filled up almost every space in the mall. They seemed to follow the pattern of people who were chasing him. What happens when there are too many weak spots? Have you ever popped a soda bubble? I don't see what this has to do with me, John said. The people you fought, they weren't just stepping through the weak spots, they were punching holes in reality, creating weak spots regardless of the consequences to the universe they were entering. If too many weak spots appear in one location, think of it like a black hole large and powerful enough to engulf your entire universe. The screen said, Universe 42, probability of collapse during next tune, 97%. And it will be like that for a while. Before you can go back without risk, the damage they cause needs time to heal. The full weight of the situation dropped on John like an asteroid in a disaster movie. He looked at each of the people around the table. Their eyes were on him. The full weight of the situation dropped on John like an asteroid in a disaster movie. He looked at each of the people around the table. Their eyes were on him. His eyes fell on Abby. I need some time to think, John said at last. Normally, I'd say take all the time you need, but you can tell there's some urgency in this situation. Hector said and folded his arms. Ludi, sign him a room. But he hasn't gone through processing. All right, thank you for listening. I want to go ahead and remind you about Real Paranormal Activity on Mondays, on Tuesdays, myself, and then Terry's Mysterious Moments on Wednesday. And also, don't forget Sandman's Lullaby whenever the heck they want to show you a new Sandman's Lullaby. All right, have a good night, and watch out for the fungus. <laughs> <laughs>